Our God is good. How you doing? Yes! Good. Hooray! Uh, good to be up here. Um, I'm excited for tonight. Uh, I feel like it's been a while since I've gotten to be up here, so I'm pumped to get to open up God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Peter. That is uh, the series that we're, um, we started last week and we're stepping into this week. Uh, for those of you guys who are maybe new, um, maybe missed last week, uh, I am, I'm really pumped about this series for a couple of reasons. Um, one, uh, I'm excited about this series because if you were here last week, what Matt, uh, Matt Lance had to say of how he unpacked and kind of set up this book for us uh, in some really, really cool ways. And one of the things, which by the way, Matt Lance has some incredible resources on First Peter. We're going to try to put them on social media or put a link to. He's got a whole study on First Peter that's been real influential in, in my study of this book. And so we'll try to put that, uh, if you want to kind of go deeper and, and dig in a little deeper, there's some great resources for that. Uh, but one of the things we talked about is First Peter is really a book written to exiles, believers, who are exiled in a, a foreign culture. And what it looks like to continue to be believers, continue to uh, walk in Christ, continue to do this whole Christian thing in the midst of a culture that doesn't accept you, that doesn't believe what you believe, which uh, is the culture that we live in, and it is increasingly the culture more and more that we live in, and that you will, you will continue to live in, and you will, uh, Lord willing, raise children in, and, and all of that stuff. And so uh, it's an incredibly applicable book. And then the other reason I get excited about this is because uh, we're just going to get to preach the Bible. So Josh and I, over the course of the next eight weeks, and we'll have a couple other guys up here, um, over the course of the next eight weeks, are just going to unpack the Word of God, right? So verse by verse, we're just going to take a section and say, man, let's, let's look at this. And that gets me super excited because the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is really powerful, and we believe that, and we believe it's rich, and we believe it's good, and we believe that, uh, we believe that whatever I'm about to say here is going to be inadequate on stage in the next 30 minutes uh, for any sort of life transformation, for you to become a better person or whatever, feel better about yourself. It's all inadequate. However, the word of God is not. And so what becomes really fun is we just get to open it up. We're promised that it doesn't return void. Read it, unpack it, and see what the Holy Spirit does with it. And so I love that we're just going to be hanging out in First Peter, verse by verse, for the next eight weeks. Uh, so with those intentions over this night, uh, Let's, let's get started. We're, we're basically going to pick up in verse 13. So the first 12 verses of chapter 1 is what Matt covered last week. And what we saw, there was a lot of rich stuff there. But one of the biggest things we saw was this idea of salvation that pops up. Verse 3, uh, 1 Peter talks about that you are born again. And in the very beginning of 1 Peter, he's talking about what salvation looks like in us, us, those who are believers, getting to be born again and having kind of this new life. And, and something, let me preview where we're going tonight, because something I think is really important <clears throat> is if the book started out by saying, hey, here's salvation, here's how it happens, here's how you become a, a believer, how, here's how you become saved, born again, uh, then this next section that we're going to preach on is what happens because of that and how that changes you. Uh, and one of the things I think is so important is that we understand our salvation doesn't buy us a ticket into heaven. Right? Our salvation doesn't just buy us a ticket into heaven. Our salvation purchases for us an identity that allows us to be with God. And that's a really, really important thing to understand in the Christian walk. That if you're in this room and you say, yeah, I put my faith in Christ, and yes, I'm following Jesus, or I desire to, or that's what, what my life looks like, what you signed up for was not, okay, I prayed a prayer, or I became a Christian so that I now have a ticket to heaven. It's, no, no, what, what was purchased for you in your salvation was an identity. 
was an identity that you now should, can, should, will, if you're truly indwelled with the Holy Spirit, walk in. And that identity is one that has eternal blessings in your relationship with the God of the universe. And that's super, super important. Uh, and so that's what, uh, that's what we pick up to in, in verse 13 is this idea that uh, it's about our identity. Um, our identity dictates everything. If we are saved, if salvation has come, then it's not just a ticket. It's an identity that if you're saved in this room, you have. You have now. You've been given this identity, and that dictates everything. Let me illustrate it uh, this way. I've been trying to think of, like, okay, what are some good ways to illustrate how identity, you know, changes culture and attitude and, and, and influences us. Um, there is a college in Texas called Texas A&M. Okay. You proved my point. <clears throat> you guys are weird, man. You get, okay, see, okay, then there's that sound. So there's, yeah, so there's a couple of things that happen here. So you guys become Aggies, right? And you become Aggies, and you go and you do your cult rituals, and you go to your classes, and then you, you, get, you graduate, and you get your, your huge gaudy ring, right? And, and then you have this language, right? You have a language of being an Aggie, right? Where if I say Texas A&M, right, like that happens, uh, which I love. Honestly, there are way worse cults in the world, so I love that. Uh, I love it. It cracks me up. But, right, there's very much, and I would say uh, it's just it's remarkable, honestly, uh, how, how being an Aggie, there is an identifying marker for that, right? You have a language. You have a, if I say certain things, for some reason, people start hissing at me. Like, if I, if I drop the name of the university, you have to whoop. Like, there's all these things. I mean, when you're in that culture, too, I mean, you go to the games, and you got certain things that you do for, you know, baseball games and football games, and you got all of your rituals. Um, and there's an identity there that connects people, that influences you. Uh, and, and you see how that identity, I am an Aggie, it comes, it's a package deal. Unless you're a two percenter, and you guys even have a word for those people, right? And you hiss at them, which is weird. Um, okay, another another little, maybe more more close to home for those of you who aren't Aggies in this room. Uh, go frogs! Um, yeah, yeah. See, you guys are great. Yeah, we don't have as many things. How about Criswell? Any Criswell? Cool, cool guys. Thanks. No Criswell Bible College? Okay, great. Uh, one time there was one person who also went. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Okay, so uh, so for me, right, um, something a little bit more applicable would be even your family, right? Your origin of family, your origin of family has defined a big part of your identity. So I am a I am a male Fuquay. So I am of the Fuquay family, and I am a Fuquay man. And there are certain things that Fuquay men function in. One of them is. My grandfather did this. My dad did this. There is this rebellious thing in me where I actually reject it, but it's, I feel like it's in my DNA that when we go to fast food restaurants, my dad just takes as many condiments as possible. <laughs> no joke. He just takes, if you go to my dad's house, my mom and dad's house, they have, you know, you open up the fridge and they have just Chick-fil-A sauce and they have just, I mean, packages and packages of all the different sauces from different fast food restaurants that they keep, and it makes me cringe, and so we try to really reject that, but it's still, when I'm at restaurants, I kind of just want to, like, take one and put it in my pocket. Uh, it's in me. They also, no joke, they, it's in the refrigerator, but they also have this big, like, glass jar. It's literally, like, this, I would say it's this big with a big top on it, and it is full, no joke, it is full of condiments, 
the whole thing, like ketchup packets and barbecue sauces and all that stuff. And I just make fun of them for it. But that's in, like, the DNA of being in the Fuqua family. We are Home Depot people, not Lowe's people in our family. That's, like, a big deal. Um, we are night owls, right? Fuqua men are night owls. Like, we don't want to sleep at night. Sleep is the enemy, right? Those kind of things. And I grew up as a kid. My dad worked a bunch, and he would come home and eat dinner with us. And then he would have to go back to the office. And so on the weekends, he would take my brother and I. And so we'd be playing at the corporate offices that my dad worked at in the middle of the night, hanging out and watching movies in the conference rooms and things like that. And that was just kind of how we, uh, how we functioned. That was a part of, of who we are. We were also loud people, Fuqua men. We're loud. At restaurants, we're loud. In public places, we're just loud, obnoxious people. And so <clears throat> because of that, those are some, some of these characteristics of what it was like growing up in my family, and it's, it's shaped my identity. Your family of origin, some things that you really want to reject, some things that you can't stand about your family, not just, not just nuances that you can't stand, but some things that are really dark and that you really reject, and you're, you're really trying to be walk in this new creation way, and maybe your family does some things that are really unhealthy. Uh, maybe there's other things that, that you really respect about them, and, and that has really rubbed off on you too. Um, our identity as sons and daughters of the king of the universe, right, it dictates everything about our life. We're not just saved to get a ticket to heaven. We are saved to have a new identity that we walk out on a daily basis, and we're either doing that or we're not doing that. We're either walking and utilizing the gift of salvation, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, or we're not. It is not just a ticket. It is not just a pass into the afterlife. And, and it affects everything. Our identity affects everything. It, it affects how we function in addictions. So you might, uh, you might wrestle with some real habitual things in your life that, that are robbing you of life and, and discouraging you and de- depressing you and, and leading you down roads that's not just, well, I need to grit my teeth and stop doing those things. I think so often that's what the world would say, that's what the self-help book would say, but actually we see in Scripture that, and we're going to unpack it a little bit tonight, that it's actually our identity is the cure for those things. I'm walking in the wrong identity, right? I'm, I'm walking in the old self rather than the, the new self Scripture would talk about. Um, man, you might, you might be discouraged and frustrated in a really deep, depressed way about uh, singleness in your life, right? There, there might be people in this room who say, man, I am single and I cannot, I, it, it weighs on me. I am carrying around a constant burden of singleness in my life. And we think, okay, well, what's the cure for that? Is the cure for that why well, I just need to get unsingle? Or, or is there actually an identity issue there? Is there an actually an identity issue there? And we've talked about this uh, every once in a while here, but uh, it's one of those things that, we're real careful to say the Lord, can, the Lord can be okay with your discontentness, right? Maybe you're discontent in your singleness, and that's not a sinful thing. That's not a bad thing, right? Uh, maybe you're discontent in your job, but one of the things that becomes real dangerous is when we aren't finding our satisfaction in that. Man, I'm so unsatisfied in my job. I'm so unsatisfied in my relationship status, or I'm unsatisfied in the relationship that I'm in, and I want out in a really unhealthy way, um, well, yeah, because those things aren't designed to satisfy us, right? They're not designed to satisfy us. Our jobs are not designed to satisfy us. We, we can find some satisfaction, but at the end of the day, it's going to leave us wanting. And so we, we say this. We say it's okay to be discontent with those things, but I think the Lord would want to step in and say there's an identity issue in you if you have a deep unsatisfaction in your singleness that's robbing you of what the Lord really wants for you. And I want to be real sensitive 
using that as an example, but I also don't want to scoot around that because I think that's a battle. That's a really legitimate, valid battle that a lot of you guys face of, man, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. Man, I, want, I want for you uh, whatever blessings God has for you. I want that. And, and I think it's okay to be discontent and it's okay to work hard and try and, and, and pursue and, and try to pursue relationships. That's great and healthy. And there's a really healthy way to do that. But I think one of the things we would see too is, yeah, but there's also some identity issue of, I'm not complete if I don't have. I need this to form me as an identity. I need to be a husband to really have, have an identity that's worth it. I need to be a wife. I need to be a mom or a dad. I need to make this much money. I need to, and all of these things that we look at, at the root issue, they're identity issues with us. We're not walking out the identity that has been purchased for us through the gospel, if we're anxious, if we're fearful, if we're prideful, if we're jealous. Those are things that identity has a lot to say about, to say, find your identity in me. And so that is what First Peter does in verses 13 through 25, which we're going to be at. He says, let's look at this identity and let's look at how we get that identity uh, that has so many implications that we're going to spend most of the rest of the series talking about those implications. But tonight, it's how we get that, how we walk in that identity. So take a look at verse 13. We're going to throw it up on the screen for you as well. Uh, there's Bibles under your seats if, if that's helpful, if you like holding a, a Bible and you want to look through it yourself. Uh, totally get that. Verse, just verse 13 uh, for now. Here, here's what Peter says. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, that is good. Okay, there's a lot here. Uh, there's a lot here. And so I, I, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to go too fast, but I'm going to have to go too fast in some ways. So even right off the bat, I want us to see how rich this is. Verse 13, it starts with the word therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? The therefore is there because the first 12 verses were about salvation. Verse 3, born again. We're born again by the grace of God. And so he's talking to believers here. And he's saying, if you're in Christ, you are, you are born again because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 13, there's a pivot. And he says, because of that, therefore, because of your salvation, you have a new identity. You have a new identity. And, he's, and he's, so he starts out by saying, prepare your mind for action, be sober-minded. And then there's this really strong imperative where he says, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so here's what, here's what we're doing. We are being commanded by Scripture, reminded by the Word of God, I have got to set my hope. And when the Greek word talks about hope, it's not, oh, I've got to, I've got to wish for this. I sure wish this happens. Whenever you see hope in the New Testament, it, it doesn't just mean a wish. It is a future reality that we're waiting for. And so I set my hope on the grace that I am going to receive the grace that I have already received, the grace that I will receive, the full grace of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ one day when I am complete, when I am fully satisfied. And so now I get to live my life because of my salvation, set my hope, focused on this is who God has for me to be. This is the grace that I am already saved to. And it's this incredible, incredible thing. It is a future reality waiting for. Um, Prince Charles, I feel like, is maybe a good example of this. As a, a guy, maybe the difference between Prince Charles and Prince Harry, right? Those are the two brothers, yeah? Prince Charles is cranked out as like fifth or sixth kid or something like that, right? Prince William, thank you. Yeah, 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 William. Charles is his dad, right? 
Okay, good. Thanks, guys. I love y'all. Thank you. William. Prince William is his name. Um, okay, so Prince William, uh, you know, and, and Harry, right? And Harry's marrying that girl from Suits. What's her name? Megan. Rachel. Yeah, Rachel Zane. Uh, Right, so I guess Harry's kind of cleaned up his act now, and he's a good, but there was a period of time where, like, Harry was, like, the crazy one, right? Harry was, like, the crazy one, and just, like, you know, the paparazzi was always snapping him at, like, crazy wild parties and, like, dressing up like a fool and that kind of stuff. And, he, and then William, William, right? William was, like, the straight-laced guy who, like, kind of had his stuff together from, a, from an outside standpoint. And one of the things I think is so interesting about that is William's in line for the throne, right? Like, at some point... Unless Jesus comes back, right? Charles, like, Queen is going to die eventually, guys. Spoiler alert. And then <laughs> Charles will become the king of England, right? He's going to die again. Spoiler alert. And then William, right? He's in line to be the king of England. That's awesome. How great is that? And he knows that. He knows that. And so he lives his life. Harry's like, man, I'm like eighth in line. Y'all have like 15 kids in front of me. So he just does whatever, right? And, you know, acts a fool. But William lives his life in this way to say, okay, like I have got to live my life. I'm sure from a young age, he's just trained and prepared, and he's already acting this certain way, right? He's not going to marry the girl from Suits. He's going to marry Kate, whatever her name is, right? Like he's going to, you know, the sweet, anyway, it does, the, you get my point? <laughs> have I completely lost you with that illustration? We set our hope on that, right? And, and that identity, that identity of in this example, this may be a bad example of somebody who's like, okay, I'm going to be the king. But it shapes how he functions. That's what we're called to do in verse 13. We're called to set our hope on this grace that we have, that's been purchased for us. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back and everything is made the way it's supposed to be made. And I get fully satisfied in that. Um, that's incredible. I am a son of God. I'm a son of God because of the grace of God. And so now he looks at me and he calls me a, he calls me a co-heir with Christ. And that's incredible. That's incredible. That's an identity that I've been given. Am I walking in that? And there's a couple of different facets to that. There's the already and the not yet. There is the, there is the already, yes, everything, everything has been made uh, true for me. I've been claimed as that. Uh, I, am, I get to look forward to that. But then there's also these aspects where I have not arrived spiritually. I don't function as this perfect co-heir with Christ. And so we're stuck in this already not yet, moving more and more towards maturity, towards looking more like Jesus, the sanctification process, right, that maturing process. So uh, I, the, the fact that I have hope, um, it, it changes everything based on, on my belief. So here's what's about to happen because of verse 13. Because of verse 13 in 1 Peter, our identity is our hope. Then he's going to lay out three pretty, pretty big ideas of how that identity works itself out in our life. It's not necessarily even the implications of that identity yet. We're going to get into that next week. It's how we get there. What, okay, so I'm, I have my identity in Christ, but what, how do I do that? What's that look like? Uh, so Peter's about to give us some handles to really shape what it looks like to have that identity. So verse 14 through 16 is the first one. We'll throw it up on the screen. This is what he says. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It's a reference to Leviticus there. So Peter is saying, hey, 
Your identity is in Christ. Let me give you three ways of what your identity should look like. Here's the first one. The first characteristic is that you are no longer conformed to your former ignorance. There should be contrast in your life to your former way of life, to the world's way of life, and there should be contrast to be holy as he is holy. We are a generation that uh, I think at least a lot of us, and I I certainly resonate with this, um, I want to engage our culture. I love Jesus. I, I have been changed and am being changed by Jesus, but I desperately want to see our culture, specifically Fort Worth. I want to see TCU, a revival there. I want to see uh, a revival through our city in a way that is awesome. I want the workplaces, I want the hospitals and the nurses and the engineers to fall in love with Jesus in a way that is revolutionary, revolutionizing their life. And, and, I, and I, so I so badly want to engage with them in, in the culture, and we're called to. And, and so, I mean, I'm preaching in a hoodie, which makes me really relevant and hip, Right. And so, and so we want to engage with culture, but here's the thing, too, that I think we can, we can really fall into is I can also just look like the culture, and I can act like the culture in a way that's, that isn't holy and set apart at all. And so we as believers, and First Peter talks a lot about this, we walk this line of how we engage, how we meet them where they're at, but then also how we look really, really set apart. It's super important. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying to live our identity in Christ. If we want to live this identity in Christ... We've got to look like our father. We've got to look like our father. We talk this big game, identities, everything, all of our implications, our, our emotional stuff, our sin, it's all wrapped up in, man, can we have a proper identity? First way we do that is we look like our father, and that means holiness. Our father is holy. Our heavenly father is holy and perfect. And so First Peter says, if you want that identity That identity that's been given to you, if you're going to walk obediently in the identity that's been given to you, rather, you should be holy. And that is an issue of obedience in our life. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this point because um, I think we know, I think we understand the idea of holiness. I don't think the problem in my life, for example, because there's a lot of areas where I I do not look like my Heavenly Father. I'm not walking in holiness there's still some sin issues in my life that the Lord keeps bringing back up and keeps reminding, hey, Ben, these patterns in your life. And so that's, it becomes a cyclical thing. And so there, there is, there's a lot of, lot of room for growth in me. But, but my lack of holiness doesn't come from the fact of, oh, okay, I wasn't sure what the rules were, right? The Spirit of God has convicted me on a lot of rules. And so I think even just for the sake of time, I'm just going to trust that we say, okay, there's some areas of disobedience in your life. And those areas of disobedience in your life, what God has called, how he's called you to live, how he's called you to function, how he's called you to function with the opposite sex, with the internet, with money, with your anger, with your jealousy, with all of those things, the way God has called you to function doesn't match some of the obedience or lack thereof in your life. Certainly it's the case for my my life. And the reason that contrast happens isn't just because, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I think there's a few possible reasons. One of those reasons, I'm going to give you three. One of them is that we misapply grace in our life. We say we want his identity. We want to walk in this proper identity. It's to be holy. Why am I not holy? Is it because I don't know the rules? No, it's because I misapply grace in my life. Man, I, 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 I grew up in a church that was this grace gone wild culture. And, and because of that, we know the grace of God. Why, how are we saved? How are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. And so we take that and we say, awesome. 
Jesus is loving. Jesus is good. He's great. He's my friend. He's aw- Jesus is going to, no matter what sin I do, no matter how many times I mess up, right? If I keep messing up with my girlfriend, if I keep messing up with cheating, if I keep messing up with um, whatever it is, greed, and, and whatever the disobedience that the Holy Spirit is, that is hopefully the tip of your spirit tonight to say, yeah, there's some disobedience here. I take grace and I just say, oh, man, he's going to cover it. He's going to cover it. I know this Jesus. I've heard the sermon. I'm saved by grace. He's going to cover me. He's got my back. And I misapply grace. Romans 6 says, says, should we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And he says, absolutely not. He says, if you do that, you've missed it. We misapply grace in our life. And so one of the reasons that we do not look like our father we do not take obedience seriously is because I just have this grace card that I just keep pulling out and that's not how God designed that to work and I'm missing it and we are missing it. So would we be convicted of that tonight? Would the Lord convict that in our heart, in your heart, in my heart? Another reason is because we aren't taking seriously and prepping for the fight. It might not be that we're misapplying grace, but it might be that we are walking into the fight that we are in if you're a believer in this room. This fight to be obedient, and we are not walking in prepared. And here's a couple of ways it looks like. Uh, It looks like making really foolish decisions and putting yourself in places where there's a lot of disobedience. And being really arrogant with yourself and just saying, you know what, I can do this or I can function. Or it looks like not being plugged into the spiritual disciplines, which don't save us, but they fuel us for the fight, right? Spending time in the word, praying, right? Spending time in community is a huge way we don't prepare for the fight. Right, we think we're going to be Lone Ranger Christians. We wonder why we don't look like our father. We're not surrounded by our brothers and sisters who are sh- helping shape what this family is supposed to look like. We're not confessing our sin. We're holding it tightly and closely so no one knows how messed up we are. And then we wonder, man, why is this obedience such a hard thing? We're doing it Lone Ranger, and we're not designed to do that. We're not designed to do that. If you're doing it, you could stop that tonight, right? If you're do in this Christian walk, and you are without community in this Christian walk. We want to be community, right? If you're a college student who's specifically, if you're a college student who's plugged in at TCU and you're going to the aardvark, man, there is an unbelievable community of guys and girls leading, plugged into that ministry who want to walk with you towards righteousness, who will will walk with you, who you can confess to, who are going to be able to show you grace. They're going to be really imperfect too. If you are, are working at Lockheed Martin, Right? There, are, there are people in this room who would love to walk with you, that would love to get you plugged in, to be able to hear confession of sin and be able to speak grace and truth into your life and vice versa. Uh, no matter where you're at in this room, you're married, you've got kids in this room, right? All of those things, there is community available. And we're a very imperfect church. We're a very imperfect community. And so sometimes that stuff takes a little while and there's chemistry and all that stuff. But, man, fight for it. Fight for it. We are called to look like our Father. Okay, and so let me just say a third reason that maybe this doesn't happen, that there's a lack of obedience in our life. One, again, misapply grace. Two, we just aren't prepared for it. And three, we aren't in Christ. Right? We're just trying to do this in the flesh. We're not trying to do this thing in Christ. we're We're just trying to do religion. And so we're kind of going through the motions and we're, okay, I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to be obedient, right? Because I'm supposed to look like my father and I'm supposed to like not do bad things. I'm supposed to do the good things. And it's all us just trying to be better people. And we haven't actually surrendered our life to Christ. Man, 
you won't be able to do it unless you've surrendered your life to Christ. And let me just say real quick, man, this whole talk and a lot of the series, just so you know, if you're in this room and you know you're not in Christ, you are in the right place, okay? You're in the right place. You belong here. I love that you're here. But if you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm not sure about Christianity, praise God that you're here. Keep coming. What we're going to do, though, is for all of First Peter, it's written to Christians. We're going to give you a behind-the-scenes look, behind the curtain of this is what it looks like. So you know exactly, okay, so this is what they believe. This is what they believe. They believe that their identity is rooted in being a son or a daughter of the king, and it has all these implications. And, and so each chapter and each verse is going to be that. So I love that you're here. Keep coming, but know that, man, this is for believers. And you might be in this room and say, man, I, I've either thought I was, but I was just doing the religion thing, and I've never actually surrendered to Christ, been indwelled with his Holy Spirit. I, I have no real tools to fight off sin. I can only hold my breath for a little bit through some of those waves, but I have no tools to actually win that battle. We're called to look like our Father. That looks like obedience. That obedience produces holiness. That holiness is a part of your identity if you're a believer. If it's not there, pursue it. You're missing an, a huge aspect of who you are saved to be. Next, look at verse 12. <clears throat> verse, I'm sorry, look at verse 17. Verse 17 through 21. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Big, big word there. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, which we just sang about in this room. That is what ransomed us. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. To live out our identity in Christ, we're to look like God, but we're also to fear God. We're to fear our God. That's a part of what our identity in Christ should look like. And I, um, I honestly wrestled a little bit whenever I was having these slides made of whether or not I was going to use the word fear, our God. Because I think there's something in me that is honestly a really good reason of why I use it. That, that word I feel a little uncomfortable for in this time in our generation. To fear our God, that just feels not right in some of me. And yet, here's the thing. I, I don't believe my my faith because it feels right, because it feels safe and comfortable. We don't base our belief in Christianity on what feels right. We base it on, in this church, in this ministry, we're going to base it on what does the Word of God say? How does He define our faith? And all throughout Scripture, guys, Old Testament, New Testament, the fear of the Lord is a constant theme. Proverbs 9 says it is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. I mean, all throughout Old Testament and New Testament, there's this concept that we, I think, maybe our culture, Americans, us, our generation, I don't, we, we have a hard time wrapping our mind around, and we neuter that word, right? We say, oh, well, fear just means respect. We respect our Lord. I don't think it does. There's other Greek words for respect that the authors aren't using. There's other Hebrew words for respect and reverence that the authors of Scripture aren't using. No, I think... I think when the author of Scripture, when the Holy Spirit inspired, I think that he meant fear. 
Does he mean scared of? No, I, I don't see that because I see an ability for us to approach this God with confidence. Does he mean cower from? No, no, I, I see him asking us to come to him, approach him. I, I see him giving us uh, access to him and calling him Abba, and there's this intimacy he, there. I think there's this really, really important tension that Peter's saying, man, part of our identity is to fear the Lord. Verse 17, he says it, and then verse 18 through 21, he says, look at all that the Lord has done that gives him the credibility to be feared, right? Conduct yourself with fear throughout your time in exile. And then he says, knowing that this is the God who ransomed you, and he was foreknown, and, and not just ransomed you with gold and silver, but ransomed you with the blood of Jesus, right, who saved you. This idea of fearing the Lord is something that I think I limit, and I subdue, and I neuter. And yet, my lack of fear of the Lord, healthy, real fear of the Lord, in a way that I'm going to unpack what that looks like here in a second. I think that handicaps me. I think I don't function my identity when I don't function with a healthy fear of the Lord. Uh, we have, we have friend-zoned God. And if you have been friend-zoned, it's the worst. Right? And you just, it's just, okay, you're just stuck in this place where it's like, okay, I can't really dialogue. It's, and you're just this safe friend. But there's nothing more that you can break through with. We have friend-zoned God. And here's, here's some of, let me just give you three, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you three effects, right? If there is this real healthy tension of, okay, I'm going to fear him. One of them, one of the effects, if I truly fear the Lord, I'm going to hate my sin. If I, uh, if I tonight, if you tonight go and you say, okay, Lord, would you help let me see how magnificent you are, how awesome you are, how worthy of fear. You're the God who in his presence the mountains will melt like wax. You're the God who, who takes sin so seriously. Lord, would you give me more of a perspective of a, of a high God that I wouldn't have just taken this God who, yes, I can approach confidently. I can call Abba, but, but that I don't neuter the fear of you that's the beginning of wisdom. Because in doing that, you will hate your sin more. You will obey his word more. I'll obey his commands because who, I won't misapply grace in the same way. But when I pull out that misapplied grace, I just think, ah, Jesus is great. He's, I just friend-zoned him, no big deal. My sin is not a big deal to the Lord. It is a huge, huge deal. And this is a God who takes sin so, so seriously. Fear of the Lord, I think, is a, a concept we have, we have lost. And here's another, here's the third implication of that. If I fear the Lord, my worship is going to be infinitely deeper. My worship, right, throughout my life, right, it, it, let's just take musical worship as one example of one form of worship, um, that I can sing, I am a child of God. For me to be able to approach the God of the universe and dwell with the Holy Spirit and to be able to sing and pray to the God of the universe that I am his child, that I am his child who he loves dearly, if I have a healthy view of who this God is that I'm saying I'm his child, that deepens my worship. It deepens my worship because he's not just some shallow Santa Claus who just hugs everybody. This is an awesome God that there should be a healthy fear for. And yet I get to be his son and I get to approach him with confidence. And I don't have to be scared of him, but there should be an awe there in my worship. It's a part of our identity. If it's not there, then my identity and who I'm saved to be is going to be misshapen. And the third thing, the third thing is uh, verse 20. 2 through 25. <clears throat> Having purified your souls 
by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For, and then he references Isaiah here, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Identity is everything. It dictates everything as a believer. Our identity To live out our identity in Christ, we have got to look like our Father. To live out our identity in Christ, we have got to fear our God in a healthy way. And to live out our identity in Christ, we have got to love like our Father. We are called here in this, before he wraps up chapter 1, right? He didn't have chapter breaks when he wrote this. But before he ends this section, he says, man, you have got to love others in that way. Sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from this pure heart. And we are called to love other people. And we're called to love them in a radical way. 1 John 3.16, right? The other John 3.16. It says this. It says, by this we know love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Radical love is what we are called to be. If we are not loving people radically and the way 1 John 3 defines it is sacrificially, laying down our lives for each other because Christ laid down his life for us and so then my response and my command is then to lay down my life for other people. Well, what's that look like in your life? If Christianity is a consumer sport for you, you're not going to have your identity shaped properly. You're going to wrestle with all of these things because Your identity isn't shaped in who you're truly called to be, that the Spirit desires to make you, that his word is telling you, no, 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 I want to chisel here, I want to chisel here, I want you to be obedient here. You've got to submit to his word here, and we're called to love radically. I don't know what that looks like in your life. right? I'm not just going to give you a couple of examples, but I want you to pray tonight. Lord, am I loving radically? Am I loving in a way that costs me, that's sacrificial? Are you loving people that are easy to love? Jesus has a lot to say about that, right? He says, man, even, right, like even tax collectors and, right, like are you loving the hard people? Don't just love your friends and your family. Are you loving those who are hard to love? What's that look like in your life? Are you giving of your time? Are you loving in a way that costs you financially, that costs your energy, that costs your your time, that costs you emotionally? And then, be real careful. Don't just love them in your own flesh and say, okay, I'm supposed to love hard people. No, if you're going to love hard people, you are forced to stay close to the love of God. You're forced to be planted in his, walking in his spirit because you're just going to dry up. You're just going to burn out because you're trying to love people. Okay, I'm supposed to be really nice. That's what I got out of that sermon. I need to be radically nice to everyone. No, no, you need to walk in the spirit and love the way God has loved you, which is laying down his life for you. Who are you laying down your life for? If you're not, First Peter would suggest you're not functioning in the identity that has been purchased for you, that has been purchased for you, that has been provided for you. Would that happen in our life? Identity is everything. First Peter is giving you these ways to live out your identity, to look like your father, to fear your father, to love your father. Uh, let's not hear these words and not apply them. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray uh, that the Lord would do this, that he would take 
verses 13 through 25, and he would unpack them. His word is not going to return void. And he would say, Lord, show me all of these areas, one of these areas, a few of these areas that, Lord, you want me to start looking more like you, whether it's loving you more, whether it's this, this, this lack of fear, this lack of uh, awe and reverence that's humbling me in a really sweet, deepening way, or the way I love other people, or all of those things, that we'd ask the Holy Spirit, and he would reveal some of those things to us, and then that we would respond, not with singing songs up here for the next 10 minutes, but that we would respond to the Holy Spirit. We would continue to pray this over our lives and for others. And if you're in this room and you are not in Christ, I love it, I love it, I love it. I love that you're here. I think God's gonna get you, right? My card's on the table. I don't think it's an accident you're here. I think the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life that you don't realize yet, and I think you're going to get ruined. I think you're going to get ruined for anything other than Jesus because I think that's what's best and, and what you're designed for. And I think all the other things you chase and will chase are going to leave you wanting, and I think God has you here because he loves you, and he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. I'm going to get them, and this is a process, and I love it. Come and talk to us. We'd love to answer your questions. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to whatever, encourage you. If you've got hard questions, whatever it is, we... We want to we love you radically and whatever that looks like. Let me pray over us and then let's respond. Father, um, Father, would you do this work, Lord? Just, just what we said. Uh, your word is so good. Your word is so rich, Lord. And, um, and we, uh, we want to take this nebulous idea of identity in Christ, this very abstract, overused concept of our identity in Christ, and we want to we want to be changed by it. We want tonight your Holy Spirit to take your word and apply it to our life, reveal to us the places where we're not functioning in how we're called, Lord. Uh, would, would, we, would we have ears to hear? Would we have a spirit to hear what that is? And then would we respond appropriately? And God, that's going to be a miracle of faith. So would you give us that faith to respond in the way that maybe you're tugging at our heart? Whether it's ways that we need to radically love others, whether it's ways that we have neutered our relationship with you and turned you into some friend-zoned God and, or whether it's just how our disobedience in our life looks, God. We don't take that seriously, Lord. Would you produce change? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.